You are listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. Well, today uh, we uh, are going to be thinking about joy. Um, The third candle in the Advent wreath uh, is called the shepherd's candle. It reminds us um, of uh, God appearing to the shepherds and proclaiming good news of great joy for all people. And then they go in haste um, uh, with great eagerness uh, to go and see uh, what the angel had told them. And, uh, and I love it as they hurried off to, to see them when they came. They, they went and they told everyone as they, as they went along. And all who heard it were, were amazed. Um, there was this great sense of eagerness and joy and anticipation to go and see uh, what God had done. Um, and so uh, today we, we, we talk about joy, and, and joy is so synonymous, I feel like, with Christmas. Even just the idea of Christmas joy is a, is a thing, that we think about Christmas joy in that way. And uh, we all talk about it at Christmas, but today I want to consider in what way Christ, Christian joy is different. What does it mean to have Christian joy? Uh, joy per the dictionary, uh, is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Uh, Synonyms for it are gladness, uh, bliss, and delight. Uh, The the opposite of joy as defined in this way uh, is uh, is misery and dissatisfaction and and trial. Uh, And and a lot of times when we uh, think about joy, Christian joy, it's often contrasted with happiness. And uh, sometimes when we do that, I feel like we give happiness a, a bad... Uh, name as if we shouldn't ever be happy. I, I don't want to suggest that today, uh, but I do think that there is a difference between uh, our everyday happiness and the uh, the Christian joy uh, that the Scriptures commend of us. and And so, I want to to talk about uh, just for a moment, by way of introduction, some some imitations and some shadows. Uh, of Christian joy. I say shadows because I think the, the happiness, the everyday happiness that we, we have in some ways is meant to be a shadow pointing us to a greater joy to be found. The, the joy that you see in a, in a beautiful sunset or, or the joy that you have in, uh, in a good dinner with uh, your spouse or with friends that fills your heart. Like that, that's the kind of happiness that is good and that is a shadow of what uh, we are to have in Christ. It's, it's not all of it, but it's meant to point us there to the real substance of what joy uh, is like. <clears throat> There's, there's, uh, there's other types of happiness that are uh, of greater depths and some more of superficial happiness is when I turned out of my neighborhood recently. Uh, they had been doing construction on one, uh, one main road that takes me out to 94 uh, that's been shut off for like the last month. Uh, and I turned out and all of a sudden it was open. The road was open. I could go that way again. There was a, there was a, a happiness that, that filled my heart. You probably have experienced this happiness at some point or heard of someone who's experienced the happiness of putting on a coat uh, from, uh, from last winter for the first time uh, this year. And in that coat pocket, you put your hand in there uh, and you find, you know, if you find a $1 to $5 bill uh, or anywhere in there, like that's like kind of like just a, uh, you know, a pleasant surprise. If you find like a $10 uh, to a $20 bill in there, that's like exceedingly great joy, right? Uh, that has fallen uh, upon you, right? Like this is everyday 
uh, happiness. Um, you end up with a quiet evening at home and you can watch your favorite show and uh, just relax. You, you, you get to go do something that, that you enjoy. There's a kind of everyday happiness that's good. Uh, and yet it's, it's also fleeting, right? Uh, that type of happiness uh, after I drove down the road and um, uh, and, and experienced it, you know, I thought, well, hey, you know, that's great that it's open, but I'm probably not going to think about that again today, right? Uh, once you find the $20 bill, uh, even even if you're really excited, once you spend it on uh, some unexpected thing that you probably weren't going to spend $20 on anyway, you know, there goes the happiness, right? Um, there's, there's, a, there's a type of fleeting nature to this type of everyday happiness. But I also think there's, a, there's another shadow here uh, of of joy that we have, and, and it's the deep satisfaction that comes, I think, from relationships and work in particular. And I, I think this is possible uh, for people to experience this apart from, from knowing Christ, because God has hardwired us for this. Regardless of whether we acknowledge Him or not, we find deep satisfaction in relationships. And that's because God made us in His image. He's made us to, to be in community. And when we have relationships in our life, we, we, we experience on some levels both the heartbreak as well as deep satisfaction. And often the things that cause you the greatest heartbreak are also the, the things that can often provide the deepest satisfaction, right? Uh, you think about the person you love the most, you probably have the most uh, headbutting moments uh, with that person, right? Uh, along the way. Um, when we think about our family, I think about my family, I think about my kids, my heart's full. Uh, one of my favorite artists is Drew Holcomb and his band, The Neighbors. There's a song they have that says, Coming Home to You, in a part of the line that says, Places where the heart resides, brothers laugh and lovers cry. Hold each other up when we can't stand. Back home with my family is right there where I want to be. It's all I need to be a rich man. Uh, the, the sense of deep satisfaction, uh, having what we need uh, in relationships. It's, a, it's good, but it's a shadow of what we're made for because ultimately, apart from relationship with God, uh, that satisfaction is incomplete. But then there's also work. And we hear people talk about this a lot of times uh, as they think about their work. Uh, again, remember, the things that provide you deep satisfaction can also provide you uh, deep frustration, right? So some of you are like, I'm on the frustration side of the scale with my work. But uh, there's a sense in which you can go to work, and if you enjoy what you do and your academics and, and, and your, in your career, you can say, I'm finding great joy in my work. What do you mean by that? You're not giddy. Maybe, maybe you are giddy about work. But most likely when you say you're finding joy in your work is because there's a sense of satisfaction. You're doing something that you enjoy, that you feel gifted to do, that you feel skilled to do. Um, and we can enjoy our work and find great satisfaction in it. And why is that? It was because we're also made in the image of God and God made us to work, right? Work wasn't a curse of the fall. Uh, it was the thorns and thistles and the difficulty of work that was the curse of the fall. But work is one of the ways which we image God and reflect Him uh, in this world. And, and, and there are people today who find deep satisfaction in relationships and work who aren't believers, but who testify to the very uh, design that God has made us for, uh, to, to be known and be in community and to do work uh, and to reflect Him as we do it. But there are others who, who have explicitly talked about the kind of joy, uh, a type of joy that you can have apart from faith in Christ. And um, this is articulated in uh, David Brooks' book, the, the Road to Character. David Brooks, perhaps more known for being a New York Times, regular New York Times columnist. He, he talks about moral joy. Uh, he says there's a type of moral joy where people's values are in deep harmony with their behavior. 
uh, where the, the beliefs that you have um, uh, can, and, and when they align with your behavior can provide a sense of, uh, of joy, a sense of satisfaction. But, but here's, here's how it particularly, I think, is different than what Christian joy offers. He, he goes on to say that this moral joy is a quiet sense of gratitude and tranquility that comes as a byproduct of successful moral struggle. You see, the, the, the sense of moral joy that can be had by many people, I, you know, I, I often think in a, uh, in a, you know, in a, in a culture, in a context where you see um, great success and achievement and affluence, it's sometimes... Uh, you can think to yourself, how do I tell a person who seems otherwise reasonably well-adjusted and taken care of and has things together in their life? Kind of, uh, In fact, when I look at their life, their life looks like a lot more together than mine, right? Uh, when we see that around us, how, 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 how can I offer something that's, uh, that's going to appeal to them? And here, here I think is uh, what Brooks defines as a quiet sense of gratitude and tranquility that comes as a byproduct of successful moral struggle Here's, here's where I say moral joy is good until it's not. You see, moral joy is good until you're not on the succeeding side of your moral struggle. Moral joy is good until what you confess doesn't match up with what you do. Um, when what you do uh, is out of line with what you say. Uh, and, and, and ultimately, it's a moral joy is a joy that's rooted in my successful effort. Uh, to line myself up with, with my beliefs. And that way it's an imitation of what Christian joy offers. You see, Christian joy is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Today I, I'm going to read from a lot of different passages of Scripture, but I want to take the central idea from right here in Luke chapter 2 at the heart of the announcement of Jesus' birth to the shepherds. Look uh, with me just starting in verse 8, where it says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. You see, here is the essence of Christian joy. Good news of great joy for all people. What is that good news of great joy for all people? Today, for you, is born a Savior. That's where joy is found. See, ultimately, Christian joy comes by faith in Jesus Christ. This is why moral joy is a counterfeit, because moral joy says that we have to successfully strive, where Christian joy says we must humbly receive. True joy is found through faith in Christ. It comes through knowing we have a need for a Savior and knowing that God has provided that Savior in Jesus. That's why as we think about joy, it's important for us to be honest with ourselves as well as to, um, to, to look out of ourselves to receive what God has done. If your source of joy is looking within, you will continually be thwarted and frustrated. Because there cannot be joy that's found in you, not consistent, deep, rooted joy. That type of joy has to be found by looking outside of ourselves. You see, at Christmas, we think about giving gifts, um, and we love to give gifts to others because 
Uh, it's an opportunity for us to demonstrate our love and to, and to, and to extend grace to, to other people. And as we think about where joy is found, it's found ultimately in the receiving of the greatest gift. The gift that God has given us in Christ. The, the grace of God that comes through Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Again, you may say to me, Michael, I, I, this is basic 101, right? And yet, how, how gracious it is of God to take us back to simple truths uh, that are for deep joy uh, for us. That the simple truth that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ is where joy is found. It's a reminder that it's not out there for us to, to do. It's, it's been provided for us in Christ. It, it required that God would take on flesh and become like us and dwell among us. It required that, that Christ would be sacrificed in our place and for our sin. It required that Christ would be buried and then that on the third day Christ would be raised from the dead. And it tells us that Christ is coming again. And if we don't know and trust in Him, there is not lasting joy. Because joy and happiness that comes from the everyday stuff of life can be taken away just as quick as the everyday stuff of life comes and goes. Even the deep satisfaction that comes in relationships and, uh, and in work, that deep satisfaction can, can quickly disappear as relationships come and go, as our work may be even taken from us unexpectedly or undesirably. And surely our moral joy that comes from our own successful moral struggle is about as consistent and as rock solid as our fickle faith is. But Christian joy is found in Christ. And what He's done for us. Consider Romans 15, verse 13. Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Joy and peace comes through believing, through faith, so that the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That pretty much sums up uh, the themes of Advent right there. That uh, through believing, we have joy and peace, which we'll consider next week, so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we may abound in hope. 1 Peter 1, 8-9 says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Though we don't see Him, we rejoice in Him. And we rejoice in Him with this inexpressible, um, this joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory because it's pertaining to our salvation. The salvation that we we experience now as well as that will be secured for us forever. That's, the, that's the, the grounding of our salvation. So joy comes by faith in Christ. It comes by way of announcement of good news. Not about what's inside of us, but about what's happened outside of us. Not about what may happen in history, but what happened once truly in history. And the coming of Christ and in His sacrifice for our sins that provides forgiveness for anyone who will call out to Him by faith. Joy comes by faith in Christ. But we also know in the Scriptures that joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy is something that God produces in us as a work of the Holy Spirit. We saw it a little bit there in Romans 15, that we're filled with joy and peace by believing, and that the power of the Holy Spirit would lead us to abound in hope. Well, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 tells us that part of what the Spirit does within us is produce fruit that's pleasing to God. And that fruit that's pleasing to God is characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is 
no law, Paul says in Galatians 5. So the fruit of the Spirit uh, is joy. God produces joy in us as we believe and as the Spirit's at work in us. It says in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God isn't a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy. And where, where does that come from? In the Holy Spirit. It's joy in the Holy Spirit. And then again, in 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, verse 6, it says that Paul, speaking of the Thessalonians, of how they uh, received the word, it says, They became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, these, uh, these believers received God's word through Paul and through uh, those who labored alongside him. Though they experienced much affliction, they received the word with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. What an encouragement to us as we think about the joy that, that God uh, offers us in Christ. But then experientially, it's, it's there for us to experience. The reality is just because you have joy through faith in Christ doesn't mean that you always feel joy because of your faith in Christ, but the the work of God through the Holy Spirit is what applies and and helps us to experience that joy in our life. In a moment, we'll see that that God actually commands us to have joy. And it's when we think about that command to have joy, that it's particularly good news that joy is also a fruit of the Holy Spirit because what God commands, He also provides. He's provided it through the work of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when God says rejoice, know that you're not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Instead, what you're doing is you're falling into the work of Christ and the power of the Spirit to have the joy that He commands of us. But I've been telling you that you have joy through Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. What exactly is this joy that I'm talking about? I've told you that it's more than just the everyday happiness, that it's more than the deep satisfaction we find in relationships and and work, and certainly more than uh, moral joy, which is dependent on our effort. What is joy? There's lots of different ways that it's been described, and I don't know um, uh, if this is the best, but uh, this is what uh, I want to encourage us with today. I believe we could say that joy is a soul-level satisfaction and delight and all that God is for us. It's a soul level satisfaction and delight in all that God is for us. You see, we're told to, to rejoice particularly in the Lord. We're rejoicing in who God is. We're rejoicing in what God has done for us and is doing through us. It's a, a focus uh, that the joy is focused on all that God is for us. In John chapter 15, as Jesus speaks to his disciples, um, there in, in those final uh, passages, John chapter 14 through 17, we, we see the high priestly prayer and, and we see Jesus instructing his disciples and the, the instituting of the Lord's Supper. And in all of this, he says, I've spoken these things to you and his teaching them that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There's a sense in which when we talk about joy, we're talking about the joy of the Lord being in us and that our joy would be full. It's this sense of deep satisfaction and delight in all that God is for us and all that He has said in His Word and all that He has done through Christ. In Jude chapter 24 through 25, a short little book at the end of the New Testament, it says, Now to Him... 
who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory. How is He going to present us before God in the presence of His glory? He's going to do so with great joy. To who? To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. We think about joy, we're talking about the type of soul level satisfaction and delight that's found in considering God and thinking about who He is and what He's done for us. And, and as I think about this, it's important for us to understand that when we say joy is soul level satisfaction, we're talking about an emotion. Joy is, is an emotion that's felt. And in, 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 a, in a unique way, I believe it's a very pure emotion. It's, it's not one that you can fake very well. It becomes pretty apparent if you're faking it, right? Uh, the, 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 the type of insincere joy that, that you may have seen in others. It becomes pretty evident that it's, it's something that comes up in response uh, to something that's happened or something that we believe or something that we have trusted in. But, but I want you to understand, when we think about joy being emotion, what I'm not saying to you is that to have this type of deep level soul satisfaction and delight in God, that you go around giddy about everything all the time. Now, I, I hope that there is a sense of lightness and joy that fills our hearts at times as we think about Christ. But here's what I want you to understand. This type of joy may, may be just as evident in a quiet resolve and perseverance as it is in an exuberant rejoicing. This is the kind of joy that, that, that yes, it gets expressed, but it, it may be expressed even in a quietness, even in a resolve, even in a trust, even in prayer. When we're going through various circumstances and trials, what's most important to understand is that the joy that God provides for us is not superficial, is not grounded uh, in ourselves, but it is God-word, and it is a soul-level satisfaction and delight in God. Joy is found outside of ourselves in God and what He's done for us and what He's provided for us through faith in Christ, empowered by the Spirit, and reflecting on all that God is for us. And this is important to say because the fourth thing is that joy is not dependent on our circumstances. How do we know this? How do we know that joy isn't dependent on our circumstances? We know it from Luke chapter 2 because joy is in a person. It's found in Jesus, who's our Savior. But we also know it because the Scriptures tell us that we, we can have joy in the midst of suffering. That joy isn't incompatible with trials and suffering. In fact, the Scriptures say the exact opposite. In 1 Peter 1, verses 6-7, through 7, it says, In this you rejoice... Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness um, of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In this you rejoice that God is working for your satisfaction even in the midst of your trials. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it says, Since we've been justified by faith and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we, we stand. So, having been justified by faith, we have this standing before God 
that it says there in verse 2, in which we stand, and now we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we can rejoice even in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Joy, even in suffering, even in trial. James 1, 2-4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy, knowing and believing uh, that all that God is for us in the midst of our trials. And in fact, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, 4, In all our affliction, he says, I am overflowing. With joy. Listen, if you can look at your circumstances. You can look at what's going on around you and conclude that there is no reason for joy. But you cannot look at God and conclude there's no reason for joy. Because all that God is for us through Christ is the reason for our rejoicing. Trials and suffering can rob us externally of so much comfort and security. But they can't rob us of joy. In fact, Jesus said this to His disciples. He said that in John chapter 16, as He's teaching them on prayer and the, and the Holy Spirit, He says, you have sorrow now, but you will see Me again, as He speaks about going away and coming back. And then your heart will rejoice. And, and He says this, no one will take your joy. No one can take our joy. In this life, there are many things that, that seem, to, um, seem to, to hinder us from experiencing and, uh, and enjoying the joy that's found in Christ. Our trials and our sufferings can fall so heavy upon us that we can't see through them to see who God is and all that He is for us. But by His grace, as He peels back the cloud... Just a little bit. We get a glimpse of where our joy is found. And we're reminded it's not found in our circumstances. It's found in all that God is for us. And I press this home because the scriptures tell us, fifthly, that joy is not, is not optional. It's not just to uh, think about it and do it if it feels good kind of idea in the Christian life. Nine times we're commanded to rejoice. Philippians 3.1, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Rejoice. We're told to rejoice. And that would seem cruel in the midst of our suffering, our trial, if it wasn't true that our joy is found in God who is good and wise and sovereign. But he tells us to rejoice in him. And here we see that joy isn't an add-on to the Christian life, but it's a defining characteristic of the Christian life. It's a defining characteristic of the Christian life because it's found in our Savior. It's found in Jesus Christ. He's our source of joy. And as I said earlier, when we think about joy not being optional, I want you to remember the present work of the Holy Spirit in your life if you're a believer. What God demands, He provides. We think about joy and our desire for joy and wanting to have more joy. God has not left us alone. He's given us His Spirit. 
And I want to I want to end by considering a few different resources that God's given us to help us walk and live in joy. To help us grow in joy. If joy isn't optional, if joy is empowered by the Spirit, if joy is ours through faith in Christ, how can we grow in joy? How can we put ourselves in the way of, of ever increasing in our joy? And here's four things for, for us to consider. God's Word deepens and fuels our joy. God's Word deepens and fuels our joy. Time and time again, the Scriptures point us to, uh, to the words of God being the source of our joy. Jesus would say this to His disciples, These things I have said to you, these words I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy is found by considering what God has said. Jeremiah said it this way in Jeremiah 15, 16, When your word came to me, when your words came to me, I ate them. I devoured them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 speaks of the blessed one who walks not in the counsel of wicked or stands in the way of the sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, his joy is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. You see, it's God's word that feeds our joy because God's word testifies to all that God is for us. It's God's word that, that tells us of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. It's God's word that reminds us of the, of the present and power of the holy, present work and power of the Holy Spirit. So we have God's word that, that deepens and fuels our delight. I, I, I want to encourage you in this, as I know it can be difficult in our busyness sometimes to persist in God's word. But understand this persisting in the work of reading God's word will produce persevering joy in your life. Persist in the work of being in God's Word because it will produce persevering joy in your life. Joy is found, is, is fueled, and is, is deepened as we come to God's Word. It's essential. That's why as we preach it, uh, we, we, we commit to, to speaking what it speaks. As we, as we go to our small groups, we discuss it there. As we, we encourage and we, we promote discipleship in the life of our church, we center it around God's Word. In our equip classes, we're equipping uh, so that God's Word may be central to the Christian life. God has given us what we need in His Word. It is the fuel. It is the, the source uh, that tells us where our joy may be found. It tells us all that God is for us. So if God's word deepens and fuels our joy, my encouragement to you is to keep fighting to make time for God's word in your life. Fighting to make time for God's word in your life is foundational to your fight for joy. Let me say it another way. If you feel like you lack joy, find time to be in God's word. I'm not saying it's a, it's a quick fix. The point isn't a quick fix. Growth in the Christian life isn't, isn't like hopping in an elevator and you go from one floor to the next. No, the elevator's broken, the escalator's broken, and you've got to take the stairs. It happens in the slow work of God working in us through His Word. And I don't say that to be a discouragement to you. I say that to be an encouragement to all of us to remember the slow work, the good work that God wants to do of producing joy in us that comes through His Word. But also, I want you to know that community fosters our joy. 
I was so encouraged just looking at the different um, occurrences of joy that were surrounding community uh, within uh, and amongst believers. In Second John chapter 12, it says, uh, I hope to visit you, John, the apostle says, and talk with you face to face that our joy may be complete. I want to talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Convinced of this, Philippians 1.25, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Listen to how Paul describes his heart for other believers. I want to remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Joy in the faith. That's what defines community. Joy in the faith. Experience together. And when Paul asks for prayer for the Romans, he prays that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed by your company. Just as we fight to be in God's Word, I want to encourage you, if you want to fight for joy, make time to be with God's people. Make time to gather for God's people as you've done today. Make time to fill your life with relationships with other believers that will spur you on to consider the joy that's found in Christ. That will help you remember that though your circumstances may look like they're telling you one thing, there's joy to be found in all that God is for us in Christ. Community fosters our joy, but also I want you to see that prayer pleads for and from our joy. It pleads for and from our joy. Here's here's what I mean. When we pray, often we can ask God to help us grow in joy. John 16 verse 24 says, Ask and you will receive, as Jesus instructs on prayer, and your joy will be complete. That our joy is made complete in our asking of God. We have not because we, we ask not. When's the last time you asked God, like David did in Psalm 51, to restore the joy of your salvation? Sometimes in our sin, in the guilt of our sin, we may confess our sin, but then we go about living as if we're in the, in the shadows of God's grace, kind of separated and at a distance from Him. When what God offers us is the restoration of our joy in Him through forgiveness. If you've asked Him for forgiveness, if you've trusted in Him as your Savior, and the ongoing work of the believer's life is you put sin to death in your life, when you sin and you confess your sin and you experience His forgiveness, know that that we can be assured of the restoration of the joy of our salvation. It's not something that God hangs, holds out as a, a dangling carrot to spur us along. It's a gift He gives us that's secured for us in salvation through trusting in Christ and in the ongoing work of the Christian life as we continue to, to put sin to death and trust in Him. Mm-hmm. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. And listen to this. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where is it that the Christian has access to the throne room of God? Where is it that the Christian has access to the presence of God personally on a daily basis? It's in prayer. It's in prayer. We have His presence because the Spirit dwells within us and we come before Him in prayer. Ephesians chapter 2, 18 says that we have access to the same Father through the work of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So we come to him and we can plead for joy and in the overflow of our joy. Rejoicing in who he is, we come and, and we pray. We make our request known to him. We plead for him to make our joy complete. We plead for him to work in others so that as we see him working in others, our joy is made complete. Just like Paul says, that when he sees the work of God in the Thessalonians, he rejoices. We, we can pray that God would open our eyes to, to understand His Word and, and soften our hearts to receive His Word because as we receive His Word, our joy is deepened. As we see Him working in others, our joy is fostered in a greater way. And then as we pray and we see God answer prayer, we rejoice all the more that God is that for us, that He is the one who hears and answers prayer. Let that be fuel for your joy. And finally, I want you to see that worship expresses and stirs up our joy. Worship expresses and stirs up our joy. I did some digging and I found that 19 times in the Scriptures we're commanded to sing for joy. Sing for joy, the Scripture says. Psalm 511, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. Psalm 92, verse 4, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hand, I sing for joy. Sing for joy. Now some of us, uh, we might only like to sing for joy in our shower and in our car, right? And so the Lord also has an encouragement for the rest of us who can't sing. Um, we get to shout for joy. Ten times we're told to shout for joy. And I don't know exegetically if this is correct or not, but I take singing to be more beautiful than shouting. And so if you feel like you can't sing very well, know that the Lord also has a word for you. Shout for joy. My lips will shout for joy when I sing your praises. My soul also, which you have redeemed. Psalm, 50, Psalm 71 verse 23. You see, when we worship, what we're saying to God is, is we're saying you are our joy. We're expressing the fact that we have a deep satisfaction and delight in all that God is for us. But sometimes we also worship because we need God to help us. We need God to awaken our soul. I love the psalmist also says this uh, repeatedly. Awaken my soul, O Lord. Why are you downcast, the psalmist will say. Awaken my heart, Lord, so that I might sing your praises. Sometimes we need worship to, to stir up our hearts, to, to remind us of all that God is for us, to, to remind us of what God has done for us. So it not only expresses our worship, but it also stirs, uh, expresses our joy, but it stirs up our joy. Think about how God has designed worship to be so centered on Him. Centered on Him and who He is and what He's done for us. When we stand up to worship, we tell God that He's worthy. When you worship, you tell God in as many words and in as, uh, as beautiful or as a, a, a lack thereof of beauty, in whatever way it comes out, you're saying to God, you're my only hope in life and death. When we, when we worship, we say to God, you're my deliverer and my savior from sin. When we worship, we're, we're coming to God saying, you're my, you're my anchor in the storm. You're present there with me when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And when I go through the fires, I will not be burned because your presence is with me. In worship, we're saying that you're the desire God of my longing heart. 
We're saying to God, you're my refuge, you're rest for my soul, you're all that I need. In the words of the Austin Stone worship song, we, we say to God, you're my life. May you be lifted high. You're my story. You're, you're my everything. You're my glory, my God, my King. You're my rock. You never change. We, we speak of what God has done for us when we worship. No other power can break the darkness. No other hand can say, forever faithful, your love is stronger. I would trust in no other name. When we, when we worship, we say to God, my strength to stand is in you. It's all my days are in your hand. You're my light to see. Your glory goes before me. We say to God, you're my king. You reign to the baby born in a manger, to the one who hung on a cross, to the one who's coming again. We say to him, you are my rock. You never change. You're the one in whom I trust. Maybe you need that to stir up your joy. Or maybe as you worship today, that's just the overflow of the joy that you have in Christ. And the good news is worship does both. Some days you need it to stir you up. Other days you can't help but be, but, but sing and to shout for joy. And ultimately, I love this quote from G.K. Chesterton. He said, Joy, which is small publicity among the pagans, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. In an article that was reflecting on that quote, it says, what gigantic joy does is it gives a Christian a bottomless pool of hope that allows the Christian the energy and steadfastness to not grow weary. It provides an unending and bottomless pool of hope that allows the believer to not grow weary in pursuing God. And I love how it says it. It says, this kind of joy is the secret of being able to face sin and sorrow honestly in a given day, and at the end of the day, still seeing the doxology. You know the doxology? That, that affirmation and praise of, of who God is and what He's done for us. It says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father. Son, and Holy Ghost. You see, the doxology is a, is a confession that says, God, You are worthy. And even as I fight sin, and even as I walk through sorrow and struggle, at the end of the day, my joy is found in You. That's what joy... That's, that's the gigantic secret of Christian joy, that we can, we can walk through the most difficult sorrow. We can face the most difficult sin in our lives and still be assured that God is for us. That God has given His Son for our sin, for our salvation. That God's power, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit is at work within us to grant us joy. Joy comes to us because it's found in Christ. It's empowered by the Spirit. It's ours by faith. Put yourself in the shepherd's shoes. Do you believe that the gospel is good news of great joy for all people? Have you trusted in Christ, the one in whom we find joy? Are you walking in Christ, the one whom we find joy? My prayer is today, if you don't know him, if you haven't run like the shepherds to Bethlehem to consider Jesus, that you would consider him today and trust in him for your salvation. Confess your sin and confess your trust in him. He knows our hearts. He'll hear your words. There's no magic prayer you can pray. 
Just confess your sin and trust in Him. But believer today, are you experiencing the joy that's secured for you in Christ? Are you fighting sin and walking through sorrow and still singing the doxology at the end of the day? It can be hard sometimes to do it. But we're reminded that we don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We fall into the provision that God has for us. I pray that not only would we sing the doxology at the end of our day, but I think it would be a fitting way for us to end our service today. I want to I ask you to stand with me and maybe do what seems unnatural. <clears throat> and just sing with me. I'm going to ask Amber and <clears throat> Trey to come forward. They're going to lead us in a song of worship. Sometimes the music needs to fade, the instruments need to fade, and we just need to focus on the simple truth of what we sing. Our joy is not found in our circumstances. Our joy is not found in us. Our joy is found in all that God is for us. Sing this with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. We say amen because we agree. May God be our joy this week. Let me pray.